welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Andre Smartenko. Andre is a cell biologist at the Institute of Biological Chemistry in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences. Andre joined WSU over eight years ago. Andre wants to understand how cells respond to drought stress and how we can harness processes inside cells to improve crop yields in arid climate. Hello, Andre. Hello, Drew. So uh, I was reading, oh, it's been a couple weeks ago now, that uh, you and, and Dr. Michael Pumphrey are... WSU Spring Wheat Breeder, were awarded a $2 million project from the Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research. The title of the project uh, is Improving Drought and Heat Resiliency in Crops Using Self-Protection Mechanisms. Now, that's an important topic, but I imagine, much like me, many of our listeners may be wondering, what are these self-protection mechanisms? Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about those? Um, Yes, of course. Plants have three types of mechanisms responsible for survival under drought and high temperatures. First is escape. This group of mechanisms collectively leads to acceleration of plant developmental program aimed at production of seeds before the onset of harsh weather. Uh, Second group of mechanisms is avoidance. These mechanisms aim at uh, water use efficiency by reducing evaporation of water from leaf surface through stomata closure or accessing soil moisture through deeper and bigger root system. The third mechanisms are tolerance mechanisms. These mechanisms include changes of plant biochemical reactions aimed at minimizing the impact of stress on cells. Our project refers to these changes as self-protection mechanisms. Okay, so it's these la- this latter approach that you're you're focusing in on, rather than the earlier two you mentioned the right. escape. Okay, uh, so we we hear a lot about uh, free radicals these days. I'm I'm wondering. It sounds a little bit uh, maybe like that. We know that free radicals are bad for our health. Drinking diet Pepsi <laughs> is supposedly re- uh, releases free radicals, which aren't all that good for you. Do plants also suffer from free radicals? Uh, yeah, unfortunately. A significant problem. So a lot of free radicals are produced during photosynthesis when plants use uh, energy of sunlight to uh, fix carbon dioxide. And uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, production of these uh, antioxidants increases during uh, the stress because the accuracy of chemical reactions is compromised by these uh, harsh weather conditions. So under normal conditions, plant use a lot of uh, other chemicals to neutralize these free radicals, and some of them are antioxidants. For example, one of the most common antioxidants is vitamin C. So in fact, uh, plant diet is so healthy because plants are rich with antioxidants. So by eating plants, we in some way neutralizing free radicals that are produced in our body. High contact of radicals damages useful molecules in the plant body. For example, enzymes involved in photosynthesis, 
And this, uh, of course, damages, compromises the efficiency of carbon dioxide fixation, plant growth, and all other processes. So our pro uh, project aims at mechanisms that impact uh, free radicals production, and uh, they aim at minimizing uh, damages caused by free radicals to plant health. Okay, so you're looking for ways to improve these implants, increase the quantity of them? What, how, how are you looking to do that? Yeah, so we would like to uh, to find genes that are responsible for more efficient uh, neutralization of free radicals, and another way, higher production of uh, scavenger molecules and, and antioxidants. Okay, so if you can identify the genes, then the plant breeders like Mike Pumphrey would be able to move these into into cultivars that would be better adapted to drought. Then, yeah, absolutely. And do you know is there a cost? To the plant for producing more of these. So some, I'm thinking some some of the things we breed into plants. Uh, I'm thinking herbicide resistance in, in weeds. Sometimes that resistance comes at a cost. The plant doesn't grow quite as much, or it does some. So if a plant produces more free radicals, do you know is there a a physiological cost to the plant, or not to your knowledge? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. So this is why, despite we knew about the importance of free radicals from plant health for many decades. This mechanism has been exploited in the breeding programs. And this is because, indeed, if we simply in increase production of antioxidants and uh, scavenging molecules in plants, it will have a downstream effect on yield because it will divert energy that is necessary for seed production, for example. So the trick here is to get plants produce these molecules at the point when they need them most. And this is why de determining genes responsible for more efficient area scavenging under uh, heat and drought stress was so tricky because you must identify genes that only work during the heat and drought stress. And this is one of the aspects of our research. Okay, that's so that's a different twist on, on what's been done before is actually stressing them and looking for what yeah. genes turn on. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay, and... You know, I'm thinking spring wheat. Is there a reason you work with spring wheat uh, rather than winter wheat or some other plant? Yeah, because uh, spring wheat is uh, most susceptible to the impact of harsh weather. So as you know, the spring wheat is planted in March and April, depending on the season. And then it starts flowering at the end of May, beginning of June, just when we frequently have heat waves or period of low precipitations. While winter wheat has all... Uh, all winter season to develop root system and kind of establish a plant and then it uh, more fit, if you like, f uh, to face the harsh environment during the uh, spring and early summer. Unfortunately, spring wheat doesn't have these mechanisms. And so this is why it's important that we develop spring wheat with this more efficient RS scavenging and uh, antioxidants uh, production. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I know when I was in Nebraska, uh, Western Nebraska, we had real difficulty getting spring wheat to do anything because it just turned too hot too quickly. So you looked at a spring wheat plant next to a winter wheat plant in, say, late May, and the spring wheat plant looked so healthy and, and great, you thought, wow, that's really going to do good. But then the heat came on, and the spring wheat just withered, and the winter wheat finished, right? Yep. So, yeah. So, uh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So the official press release uh, from the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research mentions that this project is co-funded by several organizations. Who else supports this research? Yes, yeah, so indeed, one of the interesting aspects of uh, uh, Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research is the requirement 
of contributions from other organizations in the form of so-called uh, matching funding. And there is a very good reason for the system. An interest from other organizations to support our research underscores its significance. So the list of organizations that provide matching funding for our project includes company Long Reach Plant Breeders from Australia, a commodity group from our state, Washington Grain Commission, an endowment fund uh, called Orville Vogel with Research Fund, Washington State University, and Flinders University in Australia. Okay, Australia. I've been there a few times and they, they do have some heat down there. So A lot, yes. They're very interested in developing varieties with greater hint at round resiliency. Very enthusiastic to participate in this program. Well, that's interesting. So that's a, a unique combination of federal, private, and uh, organizational dollars coming in to support this work. Well, we look forward to having you back on this show in a year or two when you and uh, Dr. Pumphrey have made a little more progress and you can tell us how that's working for you. It's uh, very interesting research and I think it's important research for this part of the world. Thanks, Andre. Thank you very much for hosting me today, Drew, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in the future. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear in future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications and the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.